Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Uh, we're going to hear God's Word read aloud um, by Robert. He's going to come forward and read from uh, Philippians chapter 4 from verse 4 as he comes up. Uh, there are Bibles scattered around uh, sort of the seats, the pews, um, those black Bibles. Uh, this reading begins on page 1830 if you came to follow Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thanks, mate. Can I encourage you to uh, keep that open on your device or in the Bible you've got that you've brought along tonight, Philippians chapter 4. We sort of are kicking off this year uh, with a a series sort of helping us set up our years as God's people to be fruitful. Uh, So we are thinking a bit about uh, kind of key aspects of the Christian life uh, to help us uh, do the Christian life well, uh, to bear fruit in Jesus' name. Uh, and ideally, over the course of the year, we could get to the end of this year and into the, in next, into the next year and say, I, I know Jesus better this year, uh, after this year because of you know, X, Y, and Z. And, um, last week, Josh uh, talked, uh, talked about money. How do we handle the resources that God has given us, our, our money and our possessions? How do we handle that well with our hearts and our hands? And I thought it was a great message just to help us set up our kind of financial habits, perhaps for the year. Um, I think I helped us in the first week sort of indirectly think about um, reading the Word, making that a real central part of our lives, getting to know Jesus better through his revealed Word. Uh, And tonight we're thinking about prayer uh, and uh, the peace of perspective and prayer. How about I pray as we open up God's Word tonight? Let's pray. Father, we pray that tonight uh, through your Word and by your Spirit we would see Jesus. Father, we pray that uh, through your Word and by your Spirit we would hear Jesus. And Father, we pray by your spirit and through your word, we want to love Jesus. So we pray, Father, that tonight you would do a work in us, uh, Father, a work that uh, lasts uh, for the rest of today, the rest of this month, the rest of this year, and on into eternity, uh, such that even tonight uh, you would shape us into the likeness of your son, Jesus, make us effective for him, Uh, remind us of who we are in him, I pray. Uh, So Father, on this night, help us to hear you see you, love you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, there's no doubt that this can be an anxious time in many of our lives. Um, The, you know, Christmas is done, New Year is done, and now we're facing a new year. And for some of us, uh, perhaps more so than others, it can be an anxious time, a time when we're not really sure what's ahead, um, and it can cause all kinds of Anxieties. There can be anxiety about money. There can be anxiety about your work. Uh, anxiety about relationships. And maybe there's a deadline that's looming that sort of has dragged itself from 2018 into 2019. Uh, perhaps you're anxious about what 2019 holds. 
Um, maybe you, you feel okay about what happened last year, 2018, but 2019, it's just a bit mysterious and that stresses you out a little bit, keeps you up at night a few hours or two. There's also the, the stress, the anxiety that's kind of caused by the, you know, the end of year and the facing the new year kind of weariness. Um, you know, we all know that when you're a little bit tired um, and this time of year can be even more tiring than others, it's, that can just increase the anxiety, increase the stress a little bit. Whatever your anxiety, whatever the trigger is for your stress or anxiety, I hope that tonight you're going to find a couple of keys from the Bible um, to help us overcome anxiety. Uh, but before we sort of talk about that, I just want to offer two caveats, two caveats and then two keys. Here's the first caveat. Tonight, caveat number one, I'm not talking about clinically diagnosed anxiety disorders. I'm not talking about that tonight. If you think tonight, you know, I'm going to hear this sermon from Jacko and I'm going to be cured of my anxiety, then, well, you're not going to find that tonight. Um, I know most of you don't think highly enough of me to think that that's even possible to achieve, um, but some of you might. Uh, but what I want to say tonight is if, if you think that your anxiety, your anxiety disorder is just going to go away because of my sermon tonight, then um, that's not the case. Um, if you read things online, on blogs, on Facebook, and you, you're a little bit attuned to the, the rise of mental illness and anxiety disorders in our society, uh, you'll know that anxiety is just on the rise uh, and connected with that depression. Um, you know, in the last 10 years, the rates have just gone through the roof. I'm told that one in three women, one in four men, uh, at a period in their lifetime will develop an anxiety disorder for some period of time. Um, so the rates are huge. Um, if I speak personally, I suffered from anxiety. I um, developed an anxiety disorder uh, last year um, as a result of some things in my life, and I've uh, been using um, medications for that. Um, which have been really helpful, a great blessing by God, and I've um, sought to control that. But I'm that one in four male statistic, right? Um, that anxiety is real. Um, anyone a teenager here tonight or was recently a teenager? Um, you know, our, our, I feel like half of you guys are. Whenever I hang out with you, I'm like, far out, I feel so old. But um, you know, our teenagers, they're not immune to anxiety disorders, right? Um, Teen anxiety is on the rise, and one of the big culprits is device addiction. Um, we can't let those beautiful iPhones, or what are the other ones? I don't really know the other ones. Um, we can't kind of let them go. They own us almost, you know, and we, I feel like everywhere I go, um, and it's not just teens, everyone's hanging on to it, right? Walking into posts and, you know, into traffic, looking at, I don't know, whatever. But I'm told, right, that, you know, we, 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 we're so addicted to those things that, you know, as you... You know, you go on a Facebook ride and, and you, you're hanging for that like, you know, and the trouble with that is every time a like pops up, a little bit of adrenaline drops into your bloodstream and we become addicted to that. And so whenever you don't see a like, you kind of don't get the adrenaline and you feel flat. Um, and the more and more and more you check it, the more and more addicted we get. Um, you know, there's that new thing on, at least on iPhones at least, or I think it's iPhones, where they tell you how much usage you've had in the past week. I've been really thankful that over the last few weeks I've been dropping um, which means that I've been looking at it way too much and now it's kind of on its way down. But device addiction causes anxiety. Um, there will be some good stuff in this sermon tonight. I really hope that's true, um, even if you are here tonight um, suffering from an anxiety disorder. But let me be clear up front, there's no fix here tonight. Um, I am sure the Lord would much rather you get your medications right um, and your therapy right rather than listen intently to this sermon. So that's caveat number one. Caveat number two... Um, perhaps just as important, is that anxiety is not inherently wrong or sinful. Anxiety is not inherently wrong or sinful. There are some Christian leaders, some Christian authors and theologians who believe that anxiety is sort of, you know, equals sin, it equals sort of disobedience to God, um, and they kind of push that barrow pretty hard. I'm, I'm not in that camp. Um, of course, I think anxiety can be sinful, right? Um, you know, for example, if you're in 2019, you're anxious to do someone in, by August, that's probably bad anxiety, right? Um, if you're anxious to get rich at all costs, that's probably not great. If you're anxious to get revenge against what someone's done, then that's, yeah, but anxiety can be wicked at that point. But ordinary anxiety is not wrong. And the reason I want to say that, and some people, you know, do say that it is 
a sinful thing. I want you to open your Bible. I hope you open Bible open to chapter 4 and verse 6 of Philippians. I hope you have it open. Paul writes there, the Apostle Paul, writing to uh, a bunch of Christians in the first century, um, writing from uh, a prison, most likely, in, uh, to this church at Philippi. He's probably imprisoned in Rome. He says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. You don't, don't be anxious about anything, says the great Apostle Paul. And, and some people think, well, that's a command, right? And so if I kind of am anxious, then I'm disobeying God, and whoa, like I'm not a very good follower of Jesus. I mean, this is a command of God. And, Jesus, and God, through Paul, says, don't worry about anything. And, you know, if you're someone who battles a little bit with anxiety and gets stressed about things, you know, you read Paul, the great apostle, say, don't be anxious about anything, then you, you have your anxiety already, and then you read that and you kind of compound a bit of anxiety on top of that because you think, well, I'm, I'm disobeying. And then you kind of go into this cataclysmic kind of spiral, right? The anxiety just grows and grows and grows. It becomes a terrible cycle. But what I want to say, chapter 4, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. That command is what is called a permissive imperative. Sometimes grammar is good for you, yeah? It's sometimes it is. And this is good for you. It's a permissive imperative. The imperative mood in our language is like the command stuff, you know, do this, don't do that, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, they're commands. And the imp- imp- permissive imperative really means let yourself be or let yourself not be. That's the command. And we see them all the way through the Bible, right? Um, we use them in common day speech all the time. So when you read the Bible and God appears to someone, you know, either with a voice in a cloud or through an angel, um, what, what do you hear? The first line is usually, don't be afraid. Does not mean it's sinful to be afraid. I mean, how dare you be afraid at the angels sort of coming from the sky, you know, and barking out a massive word. Um, what it means is it's, it's giving you permission. It's an imperative. It's a, it's a command, but it's, it's permissive. And what it basically Paul is saying is you don't need to be anxious about anything. Don't let yourself be anxious about anything. Paul elsewhere, right, the great apostle Paul who, you know, took the gospel basically to the ends of the earth and to the nations, he himself struggled with anxiety. He talks about it himself. Um, In 2 Corinthians, he talks about his own struggles and stresses and concerns for the church in Corinth. Um, This is, it's remarkable, right? He says, I have labored and toil and have often gone without sleep. That's how I am as a pastor of God's people. I never sleep. I'm just anxious all the time. No, um, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern, literally anxiety, for all the churches. You know, anxiety, pressure, concern, care. This is the Apostle Paul saying himself, I feel anxiety towards these people whom I love deeply. Of course, anxiety can be wrong, yeah? But most of the time, it arises from perfectly valid concerns. For your health, for your kids, for your study, for your career, for your marriage, for your family, for the sadness that you see around the world when you're addicted to your device. You know, it's... And it's for these kind of stressors, these anxieties, these concerns that the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 of Philippians offers us two keys tonight. Two caveats and now two keys. Two keys for overcoming anxiety. And key number one is this, perspective. Perspective. Um, This passage in Philippians, really, it's all about perspective. Paul begins chapter uh, 4 with verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, this isn't some kind of like, don't worry, be happy, man. You know, like kind of just everything's cool. He says, rejoice always in the Lord. And he's not saying, oh, please, 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 Christians in Philippi, be happy. Just, Just be happy. He's not saying that. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. How do you rejoice in the Lord? You rejoice in the Lord because you, you remember, you bring back to mind all that God has done for you. Knowing how he sees you in Jesus. 
You can rejoice in the Lord knowing your status in him as a chosen child of his family. You can rejoice in the Lord always because you can know that your sins are forgiven. Knowing that you are going to his glorious eternal kingdom where nothing can ever perish, spoil or fade. So Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. The point is that you can rejoice when you have that kind of perspective when you sort of see the big picture, you know, when your perspective is in the Lord, grounded in Christ. And again in verse 5, he offers another instruction, but then gives the perspective for adopting it. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. And you might read that and go, what, what, what's he talking about? Like, I didn't get that. You know, in other translations, it's, it's graciousness or gentleness, a, a gentle poise. You know, this ability that when you're in the Lord, when you know all that he's done for you, who you are in him, your trajectory to the new creation where you are forgiven and you'll enjoy God forever, you can be a little bit less harsh and pushy and hard. That's what graciousness here means. It's not just arbitrary pleasantries. He grounds it in the fact that the Lord is near. Be gentle, the Lord is near. You know, if you know that the Lord is near... You can kind of let go of stuff. You can be less grasping and less harsh. You can afford to be a little less pushy, a little less grasping. If you read the commentaries, right, there's debate as to kind of what this idea of the Lord being near, like what does near actually mean? Um, Some people say the nearness is like a a temporal kind of idea that the Lord is almost about to return, like time-wise, like he's coming back. So just chill out a bit because the Lord is about to return. He could come back before we eat dinner tonight. That would be maybe awesome, but a shame we wouldn't get to eat the pasta. But, um, but, you know, he's coming back. So the Lord is near. The other sort of camp says, no, 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 it's kind of spatially. The Lord is near. He is in us. He's with us. He's around us. He's, he's by our side, in our bodies, through his Holy Spirit. Now, there are good arguments for both, right, from the context of Philippians. So let's just go like 50-50, right, on this one. But either way, the point's the same, right? You can be gentle because it's his business. It's the Lord's work. My point is that perspective, knowing that the Lord is near, knowing who you are in Jesus, knowing that you can rejoice in him, makes all the difference. You know what, I reckon that perspective is one of the, the most underrated blessings of knowing God one of the most underrated blessings of the, of the gospel, that we can know who God is, know who we are in him, know that he's coming back. That just shapes our lives. It ought to shape our 2019 perspective. I was saying to someone today at lunch, I was preaching at another church up at Tea Tree Gully this morning and I had lunch with this crew and we were just talking about how people in our world just seem so stressed, so anxious, so agitated. You notice that? Everyone's agitated. I mean, I'm agitated on the road when I'm driving. Like, I'm not a good example to my kids. But people are just stressed out, agitated, you know, just at each other. And we're trying to work out, you know, why are people like that? Why is there this anxiety? And I think, you know, one of the blessings of the gospel, one of the blessings of knowing Jesus or being known by God is that, you know, we... There's this massive kind of narrative arc from the Bible that shapes our world, you know, from creation all the way through to new creation. And, you know, we are redeemed through Jesus and his work on the cross. And, you know, we were intended to be part of that story from the very beginning, to be in relationship with God from the very beginning, made by him, made for him, to live with him. And yet our sin, right, our rejection of God has meant that we've become disconnected from God and we've been disconnected from his story. And so all of us outside of Christ, we're just, and and even those in Christ at times, we are desperately trying to create our own narrative live up to some ideal and we've, because we've become disconnected from the great story that makes sense of our lives. And one of the great blessings of the gospel is that when God grabs you in the midst of your sin and pulls you into his family and lavishes you with grace and mercy and hope, he then goes, I'm going to put you back in the big story. You get back in there and then you get perspective. You see where things are going. Perspective. And the fact that he's coming back to make all things new, I mean, that's just wonderful to know because that future is sucked back into the present and changes, changes everything. It ought to change everything. 
What does it mean you can sit loose to your stuff like we talked about last week? You're not grasping, you're not building your own name here on earth. You're giving glory to God in the hope and the true hope, the certain hope that you'll see him and enjoy him forever. And you'll just be, you know, you'll partake in the inheritance that belongs to Jesus, which is, well, everything. Perspective, it's huge. Verse 8, right? It's all about perspective. Glance down with me, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, I'm convinced, right, that what determines kind of what we think about, I think, has a lot to do with, what, with the degree to which we feel anxiety and stress about things, doesn't it? What you constantly think about, what you fill your heart and your mind with, shapes your anxiety and probably the degree to which we feel anxiety and stress. So, for example, I love, I love MasterChef. Anyone else love MasterChef? Come on. Yes, beautiful. There's one other. I love MasterChef, you know. Every time I'm just, I'm just hanging. For, that's the only thing I watch on TV, really. Um, MasterChef comes on, you know. But if you're like, you know, if, if all I do is spend my time watching MasterChef and then watching reruns of MasterChef until MasterChef comes on, then, of course... You know, rather than doing any other helpful spiritual activity, of course I'm going to lack peace and perspective when I come to make dinner every night. Because I just don't measure up, right? Stuff they're putting on the plates look nothing like what I can do. If we spend more time, you know, pondering the traditions of the past, of what church was like, or rather than wondering about what God might be doing in the future through his people in this city, then of course change is going to lead to anxiety and stress we spend more time thinking about how I might climb the corporate ladder than I do thinking about all the riches I already have in Jesus Christ, then of course my status and my work is going to cause me anxiety. If I think, if we think more about what we look like in the mirror, rather than reflecting on how loved we are by Jesus, just as we are, then of course self-esteem is going to cause us anxiety and stress. My point is, and I could just go on multiplying examples until I hit every single person in this room tonight, is that what you fill your head with, I think has a lot to do with how anxious we are. How anxious we are. Perspective is everything. Well, actually, it's only 50% of everything, because I've got a second key tonight to help us deal with our stress and anxiety. And the second point is this, it's prayer, it's prayer. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, um, is precious, like such a precious verse. Um, this, this verse is precious to many, um, and it gets so many people through so, so many things. Um, I reckon I could stop preaching now, and we could get the radio mic up here and just like, you know, stick it here, and I, can, I could say, just come up and share, like how... This verse and what follows has shaped and you know, influenced your life, and I reckon heaps of it would come up. Um, last year, when I was really struggling with anxiety, one of the hardest things with anxiety is um, you, as a Christian, I found that you know that you should be reading the Bible. Uh, you know that's good for you. Uh, you know that prayer is really good for you. But they're actually two really hard things to do. Um, and, and yet... Um, through the support of multiple Christian friends and my wife Adele um, and this particular text, um, I was, I guess, able to break that sort of block and uh, just sort of meditate on these words. Um, It's really precious, not just to me. Uh, But verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't worry about anything. In other words, do not let yourself be anxious. Remember? Permissive imperative. You don't have to be anxious about everything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The answer to anxiety is to bring your request to God. Presumably that means 
all the things that concern you. Take them to God. This is an open invitation from the Lord of the universe, from the one who saved you to come to him with every stressful situation and bring them before his grace. You know, you're stressed about your job at the beginning of the year. Take it to God. Are you stressed about your health? Take it to him. Are you stressed about your family relationships? Take it to him. It's an open invitation. Take your request to God. Let me just take, uh, make a critical comment about prayer at this kind of moment. Um, prayer is not therapeutic. Uh, prayer is not therapy um, like medication or like psychotherapy would be. The reason I say this is because there's a whole lot of research out there about um, the role of prayer and, say, meditation in the world. And what they do is when they study prayer, they get the, the information they've gleaned from people who pray and the information from people who meditate, and they go like that. They mush it all together and then come up with their response. Um, and what, what they do is they're, they're sort of assuming that, that sort of uh, prayer, Christian prayer and non-Christian meditation, I guess, we talk about meditating on the scriptures. I'm not talking about that, um, but meditation. They, they think they basically go prayer, meditation, same thing. Let's just analyze them together. But they're not. You see, meditation is entirely about reorientating your inner self, your inner thoughts. It's got nothing to do really with external circumstances, nothing to do with going to someone else for assistance. It's entirely an individual internal desire to change your inner thoughts, the way you think about things. In its Eastern form, right, many of you will know this, meditation is about detachment from things. Um, so the solution to stress and anxiety in the Buddhist framework of thinking is detachment from all the things that cause you stress and anxiety in your life. The Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, taught two kinds of meditation. One is in-out breathing. Can you do it with me? It's... Are you doing it? it? Feels good, yeah? It's kind of relaxing. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm cool with that. Like it, make, it brings my heart rate down from like 60 to 10 straight away. You know, I could be like one of the athletes riding the Tour Down Under right now. Just an awesome fit. You know, like that's that's one in-out breathing. He taught that as a form of meditation. The other one, and the more kind of significant one, is detachment meditation. And, and that's where a person meditating so analyzes their thoughts and sensations and emotions that are going on in their head and around them, that they're able over the course of time and sort of discipline to then stand kind of aloof or detached from those things. That's the goal of Buddhism, right? to so stand apart from anything that might cause you stress, anxiety or pain that you can be detached. So for, let's, we're talking about devices a bit tonight. So let's say you lost your iPhone or the other thing, the Android-y thing. Let's say you, what, how would you feel if you lost your iPhone? Anyone willing to tell me? Like, honestly? Frustrated? Anyone else? Like, I, I go into meltdown in my house when I lose my iPhone. Like, if it's, I go to all my children. Where is it? What have you done with it? You know, I go to check the toilet. I go to the bin because that's where my 20-month-old puts everything. Like, I'm everywhere. And I can't find it. I'm going, I feel like my world's about to fall apart. You know, it causes me anxiety and stress. Like, I'm just telling you about my life, right? There we go. Um, but how would you feel if you lost a blank piece of A4 paper from Officeworks? How would you feel, Tom? No worries. No worries. <laughs> that's the goal of Buddhism, right? Is to feel exactly the same way about your iPhone that's down the toilet as a blank piece of paper from Officeworks that you've lost. To be so detached that you just don't care. It doesn't impact your life. You've got to arrive at that goal. And guess what? The, the Apostle Paul, he knew all about Eastern philosophy and Buddhism. Sure, it wasn't sort of part of the culture when Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, not, he, and he didn't know it because he'd travelled to sit with Saddamma Gautama Buddha and, you know, hang out. It's because when Paul writes this, there was a group of people called the Stoics hanging out. You, know, might, you know, might know someone who sort of you say, oh, yeah, they're a real Stoic. You know, the kind of person who just goes about life feeling nothing, you know, just like, you know, Rawr, you know yeah, you can... You could punch me in the head 20 times. I'm not going to bend, you know. What are you, are you even touching me? You know, that sort of, well, like, I'm not going to let anything affect me. There was one guy um, called, his name was Simon, actually, like me. Um, 
And he was so stoic that he decided the best way he thought to worship God was to sit on a pole for his whole life, like just to be stoic, you know, did not need anything. He died on the pole. Didn't work out very well, right? But anyway, um, the Stoics, though, they was, these are the people who just walked around kind of detached from the world. And their whole idea was let's train ourselves to not become at all attached to objects or people or things. See, Stoicism was all about reaching perfect equilibrium in life where you feel neither pleasure nor pain. You're detached from everything. A Stoic can stand aloof from every situation, ultimately. And the reason you might be going, Simon, like you've told me there's dinner, can we get there really soon? The reason I'm talking to you about this tonight is that I don't want you to think prayer is therapy, like some kind of detachment from reality to help you stand aloof from the world. Christianity is all about engagement with the world, modelled by God himself in the person of Jesus. You know, God in perfect serenity in heaven, overseeing all the world. He didn't stay up there and go, not interested in that broken, messy place called Adelaide. No, he came into the world in the person of his son, Jesus. Got messy, got dirty. He had to go to the toilet. He had to eat. He had to deal with washing his feet. He, had, he engaged with the world to the point where he died on a cross to redeem the world and redeem you and me by shedding his blood. He didn't stay aloof from the complexities and the passions and the emotions of the world. He got in and got dirty. Anyone read the book by Tim Keller um, on prayer? There's a quote in there, I can't remember it exactly, but he talks about, um, you know, not that one yet, um, but he talks about how um, you know, prayer is for the Christian is not this kind of esoteric, nice thing that we do when we're feeling great and, you know, I've just had a shower and I'm, you know, just feeling smelling good. Like it's, no, it's dirty, it's real, it's, in, it's hard. It's engaging with stuff. That's what, he's, that's what it's about. It's not therapy. Prayer is engagement with the living God. Keller does say this. Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. Prayer is engagement and encounter with the living God. It's a great book. You can get your hands on it. Um, Read it. Paul, back to sort of the passage, Paul uses four words to describe prayer in our passage, Philippians chapter 4. You can see them in verse 6. I think they're coming back up on the screen. Um, do not be anxious about anything. Don't let yourself be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, one. Petition, two. Thanksgiving. Present your request, four, to God. Four words to sort of describe this thing called prayer. I don't think we're dis- to distinguish between uh, the prayer, petition, and requests. I think it's just Paul saying the same thing in three different ways. And I think he essentially is just saying there, um, we can pray about anything at any time. That's what he's saying, pray. So he bundles these three words together. Pray all the time about everything. I think that's what it means. But I think he deliberately throws in there that word thanksgiving, um, from which we get uh, the word eucharisteo, when we do eucharist or the communion, thanksgiving, that's where it comes from, thanksgiving. Um, Prayer, petition, requests, and do it all in the light of thanksgiving. Paul's point is that whenever you go to the Lord, and say, Lord, will you help me with this, please? Or I need your help with this stuff. His point is always remember the stuff that you already have. Always remember who God is and what he's already given you. By all means, Paul says, go to God with all your concerns, your anxiety and your stress. But remember all that he has given you in relative health and friendships and relationships and and family and above all, the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus, and the hope of eternal life. So we can go to the Lord of the universe, the one who's created us, redeemed us, with our concerns, with our requests, with our anxieties, all with thanksgiving. Paul's point is, right, that prayer with thanksgiving is an antidote to anxiety. That's what he's really saying. But how? How does prayer, this act of coming to God and speaking to him, encountering him, how does that actually kind of lead to like a reduction or a getting rid of your anxiety? I think there are three ways 
I'm going to share tonight that I think assists with dealing with our anxiety through prayer. <clears throat> and the first one is this. God answers prayer. It's, it's, it's so obvious, right? You know, this is, the, this is the equation, right? You're anxious about something in your circumstances. You pray about it. God changes the circumstances and you're not anxious anymore. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We're expected to believe that as Christians. The word of God would point us in that direction. Let's not be fooled into believing that prayer is only useful in changing our inward perspective. That's, that's Eastern philosophy. We, we go to God, our maker, the one who is sovereign and in control of all things, and we ask him, would you please change something? Would you please do this? And, and the Lord may change things in response to our prayers. You know what, if we stop believing that in 2019, friends, we've actually stopped believing in the God of the Bible who actually can change things and does change things. And actually, you can see this in the book of Philippians. Um, if you flick back with me to chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says something really interesting about prayer. Um, Paul's in prison, probably in Rome, when he writes this letter. And in verse 19, I don't know if it's on the screen, probably not. I don't think so. Um, he writes this, um, verse 19. Uh, yes, I will continue to rejoice through, that I know through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. In other words, Paul's pretty confident, right, that God will hear the prayers of the Philippians who are praying for him who's in prison in Rome and he's in jail. He's pretty confident that the prayers that are prayed by the Philippians miles away will be answered by God and things are going to work out pretty well. That's what he, pretty much what he says. A paragraph later, Paul then sort of goes, actually, I'm not sure 100% that things are going to work out the way we're sort of hoping here. But he, con you know, he concedes that the Lord may not choose to answer the prayer of the Philippians particularly, but he's confident that God will answer. He will hear, he will answer. God answers prayers. Let's not stop believing that because we believe God is sovereign. Let's believe it because God is sovereign. Let's trust him. Take all your concerns to him. Health, marriage, employment, hard relationships. Take your kids to the Lord. And trust that God will change things for you. There's a second way that prayer helps with anxiety. Sometimes God gives you strength that you never thought you could possibly find. Later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul speaks about finding the secret to contentment. And I find it really interesting that he finds the secret to contentment and it flows out of a section on prayer and perspective. Uh, he says in verse 12 and 13, I think we've got that. Have we got that, Carl? Probably not. Let's have a look. Verse 12 and 13 of 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, what fascinates me is that Paul, earlier in the letter, prays that God may release him from prison in answer to the prayers of the Philippians. But now he says, sometimes I'm hungry. Sometimes I'm full. Sometimes I'm poor. Sometimes I'm rich. And you know what God does? He does something brilliant. God doesn't change Paul's circumstances. He gives Paul strength that he never thought he could ever experience, possibly. One of the other cool things that Keller notes in his book is that when you analyse all the Apostle Paul's prayers throughout the New Testament, not once does Paul really ever pray for a change in circumstances for people. He just prays that in the midst of those circumstances, they'll grow to know God better and, and the hope of their eternal life would just grow bigger on their horizon. That's pretty much what he says. It's wonderful. In this situation, he doesn't change the circumstances of his people, but he gives his people strength that they never thought they could ever have in order to endure the circumstances. You know, sometimes God may not answer your prayers by changing the circumstances that you're in, but he may give you strength that you can only explain the strength that comes from him. 
extraordinary strength to endure and to persevere. Take your stresses to God. Take him up on the promise. You know, Psalm 34 said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do that in 2019. If you're here tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I encourage you to, to stick around for the year, sit under God's word, hang out with his people. Some of them are really nice. No, most of them are really nice. And taste and see that the Lord is good. Do it. Take him up on the offer and see if he makes good. God answers prayers. That's a, that's a way we can deal with our anxiety. Secondly, sometimes God, in his mercy and grace, gives us strength to, that we never thought possible to, in order to endure the circumstances that we're in. And third way, the third antidote, it's the main section really, God promises you his peaceful presence. Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7. It's in the light of verse 6. So, Don't let yourself be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Come to your maker, come to your creator with all your needs, your anxieties and your stresses with thanksgiving. And then God makes this remarkable promise that his peace will be with you. His peace will be yours. You know, we're, we're here at City Light Church. We are reformed, you know, deeply connected to thought and history. We are we're, we're evangelical. We're, we love the Bible. It's all about the Bible. We're charismatic. We don't mind if you put your hands up in the air when you're singing. I know that's how I describe charismatic. You know, we're reformed, evangelical, charismatic. We're, you know, we're thinkers. We're, we're charismatic. And, and I'll read this, right? And every part of me just wants to interpret this passage by going... And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm going, what is this talk about transcending understanding? We're all about propositions and ideas and, you know, being able to, you know, say things that have grounding and stuff like that. And, but here we are promised, right, this amazing peace that seems even so good that it's not just simply going, well, I have peace because I know that I'm a reformed evangelical charismatic and I know the truth of the opponent death of Jesus Christ for my sins. You know, oh, yes, I, I know all the mechanics of the cross. You know, God, he's holy and I'm not and he took my place and I'm now holy and, you know, right, it's, it's all about the gospel. Absolutely true. Everything's about the gospel. But I reckon when Paul writes this, he's not being all heavy and theological, I actually think the Apostle Paul is being, dare I even say this, mystical. Yeah? Don't tell leadership of the church I'm talking like this, all right? No. I think he is. He's not all being heavy and, you know, and yes, the peace that I have is all about the atoning death of Jesus. There's something about praying and asking God to just to help me in my time of need, and then this peace which is beyond understanding. Did you notice that? It's, it's beyond understanding. The reason I think he's mystical is because, verse 7, it's a peace that transcends kind of propositions. can't be limited just to our understanding of the mechanics of the gospel, such that I know I'm at peace with God through the mechanics of the cross. Because I can understand that by God's grace. This peace... This is a peace that we experience as God's people where you go, oh, I don't know where it's come from, but it's, it's not through deep study of the doctrine of the atonement right now. It's, it's a promise that God has kept and he's giving me this peace that is beyond understanding. You know, verse 9, that the God of peace will be with you. Same thought, really. You know, and in my battle, I'm still battling with anxiety and some depression, you know, this, this reality is precious. A peace of God which surpasses all understanding when my mind can't comprehend how much I'm loved, but I can go to him in prayer and he, he gives me a peace. It's beyond understanding. And I reckon, again, I reckon we could get the mic and people could come up and share. I, I know that. I know the peace of God that's beyond understanding in 
this particular circumstance. It's real. You know, there's an acute illustration of me as I wrestle with stuff, but I was trying to think about how do I illustrate this, that sense of peace and security that you get from God that's beyond understanding, and it kind of thrust me back into my childhood, which was very recent, you know, just a matter of years ago. You know, it's a bit like when you, you know, you're waiting for a cuddle or a hug from someone you love, you know, and I have vivid memories of waiting for my dad um, to come home after a long day at work, possibly when I was in trouble with my mum, but, you know, like, but I just, I want to see him, I want to see my dad. And I wasn't waiting to see my dad to have a long, deep conversation about the world, you know, and analyse my day when I was eight or nine or ten or something like that. But I, all I wanted, right, I just wanted his touch. I wanted to, to hear the, the deep timbre of his voice. I wanted to smell, you know, the, the day-old old spice on his collar, you know, that he put on hours ago. I, just, I wanted his presence. I just wanted him. His presence, right, was a, a shield from all my worries and my anxieties, my concerns. It's a peace that was beyond understanding. And I believe this is what Paul is saying. And I love how Paul uses that idea of a, a protective barrier around us that comes through this peaceful presence. You know, a peace that will guard, verse 7, your hearts and your minds. It's a word that comes from the military. It's the word sort of for garrison. God's peace that transcends all understanding will garrison, protect, secure, lock down your heart and your mind. I think Paul uses it specifically. Philippi was guarded by a huge, like a massive Roman garrison, you know, people coming in and out, you know, holding it down. Paul himself was beaten up by that Roman garrison in Acts chapter 16 when he took the gospel there. I think that's what he's got in mind. But the peace of God, this, this embrace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds, your, your inner self, your thoughts, your emotions. You'll have that lovely embrace of God's peaceful presence. But then, at the end of verse 7, Paul can't help, right? He's the apostle, right? He can't help but get a little bit theological. Um, did you notice it? The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul can't help but remind us, uh, or remind the Philippians, the Philippians and by extension us today, that we don't get this gift of God's peaceful presence, his garrisoning of our hearts because we deserve it, you know, because we're so great. You know, without Jesus, right, and as you read the Bible, anyone who comes into the presence of the living God doesn't, it doesn't end very well for them. They kind of get smote. Um, it's, a, it's a terrifying place to be in the presence of the Lord. You remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah, the prophet, he walks up to church just one Sunday, just expecting to go through the motions, and he happens to bump into the living God, and it just rocks his world. He says, woe is me, and he collapses onto the ground. He says, I'm gone. Anyone who comes into the presence of the living God, it ought to fill us with terror unless we're in Christ Jesus. His blood shed for us. His blood covering our sinfulness so that we can stand in the presence of God, confident. His death taking all, all our sin, all the judgment we deserve away. Then, in Christ Jesus, God's embrace is not something to be frightened of, but something to enjoy and to long for as his people. The God of peace will be with us. You know, we have no claims on God, but in Christ Jesus, he has bound himself to us so that if you bring your anxieties and your concerns to him, he will grant you his peace. That's his promise. It's not mine. These are not my words. So this passage, right, gives us just two keys, perspective and prayer. What are you filling your head with, perspective? Guaranteed, right? Whatever you're filling your head with, that will have something to do with how anxious and stressed you're feeling right now or in this time of life. So can I encourage you, um, 
as 2019 begins, you know, fill your head, right, with, with things that are praiseworthy and noble and true and godly and good. And his word. Good Christian books. Good Christian music. You know, fill your head with good things. Fill it with Jesus. And prayer, secondly. <clears throat> Again, prayer is not this theoretical way of therapeutically detaching from the world. Prayer is engagement with the living God and engagement with the world in which we live. God invites you and me to come to him with all your stresses, all your passions, all your emotions, lay them before his feet and then trust him and then receive his peace. It's wonderful. His peace that will garrison your heart. I want to ask you all to do this. Make 2019 a year of perspective and prayer. How about we do that? Um, Not just coming to pre-service prayer, but, you know, like five minutes a day. Just praying to God, bringing your concerns to him. Not just when things are going pear-shaped, but just, just become a discipline. Come to God. One of the things I do, if you kind of follow me around during the day, I just mumble prayers all the time. People must think I'm a bit strange. People already pretty do that. But I'm walking around the streets of Prospect and North Adelaide and Glenelg just going, and uh, just mumbling prayers. Um, let's, uh, let's make 2019 the year of perspective and prayer. How about we pray? Let's pray together. Father, in a, in a room like this, uh, with a number of people in the room tonight, uh, no doubt there are many of us who are um, feeling somewhat anxious and stressed about the year ahead, um, and to varying degrees. Uh, we just want to pause as your people and just in the quietness of our own heart, bring those um, anxieties and stresses to you, knowing that you hear our prayers. Father, knowing that you are good, even if you choose in your perfect will not to change our circumstances, you are good to give us often strength to endure that we never thought possible. But Father, we pray that even though sometimes you don't answer our prayers the way we want you to, or perhaps you do withhold that strength, that we know that you do promise above all things to give us peace, peace that transcends all understanding. Do help us, Father, as we continue to move into this new year. We pray that you would help us to do that with your perspective. Help us to, to walk into this world with, I don't know, gospel goggles on. To, to see the world through the lens of the gospel, that you are returning and possibly really soon. May that reality shape our choices, how we pray, how we use our time. And Lord, I pray as well that we would be a people here at City Light, North Adelaide, marked by prayer, that we'd be just wanting to talk to you, our loving Heavenly Father, that we might experience that wonderful, warm embrace that you promise, the knowledge that you're with us, you never forsake us, you love us more than we can ever know. And we pray, Father, that as we live like this, we would look different, we would Look like your people, followers of Christ, on their way to the promised land. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.